Hello and welcome to Dr. Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy B. Ment, your host, welcoming you to episode 126 of Dr. Who Panel to Panel. I apologize for the delay in putting out a new episode. It's been over a month since the last one, almost two months. Um, and I guess basically there hasn't really been all that much new in the way of Doctor Who comics. Uh, there's been a couple, one or two new parts. Actually, just one part in Doctor Who magazine. And outside of that, it's been rather quiet. So I've uh, kind of taken it easy and uh, been on vacation for a week. And um, now it's time to get back in the swing of things. And I thought... Missy number one is coming out this coming Wednesday. Now is a really good time to put out a new episode. So, thank you for downloading this episode of Panel to Panel. I apologize for taking a little break, but we're getting back in the swing of things now. In this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, we will do our usual routine. We will check out the news and see what's new in the world of Doctor Who comics. And then we are going to open up the Pandorica on something I've been waiting for for quite some time. I know it came out, I believe, at the end of last year over in the UK. And that is the Daleks collection from Panini. This is a collection of the Dalek comic strips from the 60s. Um, gloriously uh, reprinted in amazing full color. And um, I'm not going to talk any more about it now because I'm going to cover it in the review and the Pandorica opens. And then... I'm going to uh, present a classic interview. This is something I thought might be of interest to people just because Lee Sullivan is uh, doing some work again in Doctor Who, in the worlds of Doctor Who. Uh, not necessarily Doctor Who itself, but something else. And um, I thought it would be a good time to represent this interview I did with Lee Sullivan from back towards the end of 2017. Um, so four years ago, roughly. Uh, pretty close to four years ago. And it's, uh, I think, interesting. Lee Sullivan's one of my favorite Doctor Who artists. When I think of Doctor Who comics, Lee Sullivan's one of the first uh, styles that pops into my mind. Uh, his artwork on Dalek strips from Doctor Who magazine are some of the first things I read in Doctor Who magazine back in the late 80s when I started collecting com or Doctor Who magazine. And I wanted to learn more about him, and I think you'll enjoy hearing more about him as well. And basically, that's it for this episode. Um, thank you very much for downloading this episode. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy the interview. I hope you enjoy my review of the Daleks. And with all that being said, let's get into the news. All right, time to check out the news, Doctor Who comic-related news on this episode of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Since it's been a little while since our last episode, we always start out by going through the new releases. We're going to go back to the beginning of March, and we'll start from there. Starting out on Thursday, March 4th, over in the UK and digitally, Doctor Who magazine number 562 was released. That is the last issue to have a comic strip in it, and uh, we're taking a little bit of a hiatus now from comic strips, but keep on buying that Doctor Who magazine. Let me know you still want it. Then we are going to jump down to the end of the month, at least according to my little day planner here. On Wednesday, March 31st, over here in the United States, there was a lot of Doctor Who magazine stuff coming out. Doctor Who magazine issue number 557, 558, and 560 are listed on the Diamond Comics preview site. I have a feeling issue 559 snuck in there too. It just wasn't listed. As well as the uh, Doctor Who magazine 2021 yearbook was released. But the crowning achievement over here in the States, finally, after all this time, the Daleks bookazine, of which I'll be talking about in a little bit, was released. 
So make sure you pick that up. That is something that, if you're a Doctor Who comic fan, you definitely want. The next day, over in the UK, on Thursday, April 1st, Doctor Who magazine number 563 was released. That is the issue that has the first part of a wonderful interview with Christopher Eccleston. I highly recommend it. And then that will take us up to this coming Wednesday, which is April 14th. And Titan Comics is finally jumping back in with some Doctor Who comic content. The first issue of Missy, the four-issue miniseries, will be coming out. So make sure you check that out. In other news, although it's been rather quiet for uh, Panini as far as Doctor Who comic strips, since they're putting them on hiatus, and Titan Comics, since they had a little bit of a break in between the Doctor Who comics four-issue series and Missy number one, I thought I'd talk about uh, a couple other comic companies that are working on some Doctor Who content. First thing I want to talk about is Cutaway Comics. This is the company that Gareth Cavanaugh is, uh, has founded, and he is making Doctor Who comic miniseries based on properties found in the Doctor Who universe. Uh, of course, everybody is familiar with Lytton, which is uh, still going. It's almost done with its miniseries. But uh, in other news... Omega number two is about to be released. It's supposed to be coming out later on this month of April. Issue number one was really, really good. Um, you can order it from cutawaycomics.co.uk, and it will also be available over here in the United States. If it isn't out already, it should be coming out fairly soon through Diamond Comics. Another part, or another uh, series that will be coming out from Cutaway Comics, or will be the Kickstarter is going to be starting, is the next miniseries they're doing, which is Paradise Towers. Uh, this Kickstarter will be starting on Thursday, April 22nd. So make sure on that day that you keep an eye on Kickstarter for when this starts up and make sure that you uh, back this project and keep Cutaway Comics going with their Doctor Who related comics. Uh, what I've seen so far, I, I've been backing their projects. I have enjoyed what I've seen. It's interesting to see these different takes on Doctor Who properties and see what different ideas and stories they can tell using them. So I highly recommend them. One other comic that almost passed me by, but somebody mentioned, on, I believe on Facebook, is a Kickstarter called Devil's End Number 1. This is a Kickstarter that is put out by a little small press company um, called Lucky Comics, I believe. And they are trying to raise $500 to print their first issue of Devil's End. Devil's End, for Doctor Who fans, you'll remember Devil's End from the John Pertwee classic story, The Demons. Well, this company, they got the rights, or uh, were able to get the the uh, rights to use the Agatha Hawthorne character, as well as Bach and Azal from the uh, family of the writer who created the demons. And they're trying to do a another story. And uh, the story, this first issue has been done. Uh, it was written by James Hudnall, who has done a lot of... Uh, comic writing. He uh, was friends with Alex Ross. He had written Alpha Flight, Strike Force Moriturri, and uh, his own uh, book called Interface. And he wrote this first issue and then uh, tragically died very suddenly in 2019. So this issue has been written in, for quite some time. It was written a while back. But now this company has actually got some uh, artists lined up. Uh, it's being uh, the artist is Mauricia Sandrine. I apologize if I pronounced that name totally wrong. With coloring by Federico Siak. 
And um, like I said, they're trying to raise money to publish this first issue. They have several different covers available. You can take your pick which one you want. It's not that much of an investment. Um, they're trying to raise $500 right now as of this recording. There's still 47 days left in this Kickstarter, and they're at $423. So make sure you uh, check them out. Look up Devil's End number one on Kickstarter. Throw a little money their way, like I mentioned on Facebook. I am always in favor of backing any kind of company that is trying to come up with Doctor Who comic content or comic-related content uh, regarding Doctor Who. So I would uh, suggest you check them out. You know, it's not it doesn't hurt to throw five, six bucks their way and get something out of it in the end. And that is it for the news. If you happen to come across any Doctor Who fans that grew up uh, and were kids back in the the 60s over in England and you ask them if they ever read any Doctor Who comics back when they were kids in the 60s, uh, a lot of them will tell you how much they remember TV 21 comic and the Dalek comic strip that was in there. It ran for, I believe, 121 uh, strips or episodes. And anybody who is a Doctor Who fan from back then uh, finally remembers these strips. They'll tell you about how uh, the stories were great, the artwork was amazing, and back in the 90s, I think it was the early 90s or mid-90s, I think Gary Russell oversaw it when Marvel Comics uh, was doing Doctor Who magazine. Marvel Comics put out a special magazine with the Daleks comic strips in it. And back then, basically, they just took the original prints from TV21 comic and scanned them and put them into a magazine form. I don't think they did too much restoration on them. However, current editor of, of Doctor Who magazine, Marcus Hearn, is one of those people who grew up with the Dalek comic strips, and I believe this was his pet project. He uh, put out the call trying to find people who had the original artwork for as many of these Dalek strips as he could find. They uh, professionally scanned them, they've restored them, and what came out over in the UK late last year and finally made it over here to the United States just a few weeks ago is this Dalek bookazine that was put up by Panini. It has a wonderful cover by Mike Collins. Um, like I said, it has a, it's not a, like a trade paperback or a graphic novel. It has more of a magazine type cover, although the magazine cover is really heavy uh, stock. But inside, you will find an intro from Marcus Hearn. It will tell you a bit about the history of these comic strips in the span of uh, 8 to 10 pages. Actually, about 6 to 8 pages. And then what you get are single-page Dalek comic strips that tell various different stories. I've done a couple reviews on the first couple stories that are in this book. But I have yet to cover the rest of them. In fact, that's something that we will be, or I will be, covering in upcoming episodes of Panel to Panel. But I wanted to do a review or an overview of this bookazine just because I want to make sure that if you are a Doctor Who comic fan, you do not pass this book up. I know sometimes if you've read old 1960s Doctor Who comic strips, or even ones pre-Doctor Who magazine, they can be kind of a, a chore to go through and... Um, they kind of talked down to the reader because they were geared towards kids. The Daleks uh, bookazine is one you definitely don't want to pass up because that is not really the case. Granted, the stories are not as complex as you would want to read for an adult. However, these stories are really good. They do have a charm to them. And best of all, the artwork is just amazing. Uh, like I said, they've taken the time to go through and restore the artwork for these. 
the majority of the the art that's in this book are is reprinted directly from the original artwork and it's it's vibrant it's colorful um to me it's like reading a collection of of sunday uh comic strips for those of us over here in the united states that grew up reading the comic strips in the newspaper uh, the the each page is like a full page sunday spread like I said, vibrant colors, panel layouts are really interesting, and every page is a chapter in a story. The I, I guess I can't go on more about how wonderful this is. I'm, I'm partway through reading all these stories, and um, you get introduced to new aliens, uh, new things that the Daleks are trying to conquer, um, and it's just a, a joy to to read. It's something that you you can read a story arc, and you get done reading it, and you feel happy. It's it's just it's a pleasure to the eyes. It's a pleasure to the the pleasure center of your brain, thinking about how wonderful these stories are. And it's definitely something like I said. If you're a Doctor Who comic collector, you want it on your bookshelf next to your Panini graphic novel collections. It's something you don't want to miss out on. Don't pass it up. Get it while you can still get it. Um, I'm not sure if your comic book shop can get it still from Diamond if they don't have it right now. However, all the Barnes & Nobles I've been to, I've been to several of them just in my area. They all have it on their newsstand. It'll probably be around for a little while, but you don't want to miss out on it. So go grab it right now. It's a $20 investment over here in the United States, and um, it's well worth every penny. So make sure you go pick up the Daleks Bookazine from Panini. Exterminate! Well, I was reading through the Daleks Bookazine. It made me think about Daleks in Doctor Who comics. And one of the first people that I think of when I think of Daleks in Doctor Who comics or Doctor Who magazine is artist Lee Sullivan. Lee Sullivan, I think, is the, the premier Dalek artist when it comes to Daleks in, in comics. And about four years ago, I had a chance to chat with Lee about his career, how he got started, um, how he got involved in Doctor Who uh, as a fan and also as an artist, and much more. That interview was back uh, quite some time. I think it was episode number 14 or 17, somewhere in there, of uh, Doctor Who Panel to Panel. And that episode is not available on iTunes anymore. That's long gone off my feed. So I thought, just as a treat for those of you who may not have listened to Doctor Who Panel to Panel back then, uh, here is a rebroadcast of this classic interview with Dalek artist Lee Sullivan. I hope you enjoy it. I find it fascinating that Doctor Who has taken off, uh, particularly now, so much elsewhere, because mm -hmm. it's always seemed to me to be a very quintessentially... British stroke English kind of scenario, Doctor Who, and it's 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 a small world that Doctor Who lives in. Even though it's a vast universe, yeah. it, it it's a lot of it is centered in obviously in uh, in England and Brit the British Isles, uh, and it very rarely gets <laughs> it may go to far flung planet planets, but very rarely gets beyond the shores. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's just amazing that it's taken off in, in all these other countries. Yeah. I, I'm, fascinated the latest doctor who tour i think was there was um a scene i think in in brazil in rio uh and it's just astonishing fan adulation of the of the program it's 
it, to a long-term Doctor Who fan, well, I mean, I can remember nobody liking Doctor Who at my school except me, really. Oh, really? Uh, and and that is such a change. It's a massive change in the way it's it's been taken up. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know even over here, uh, there's a big Doctor Who convention going on in Chicago this weekend. And yes, I noticed I wasn't invited. <laughs> well, they need ah. to remedy that. I, and, and I I used to go to to that convention all the time. Now I'm kind of I'm I work in retail, so Thanksgiving weekend is you know the biggest shopping weekend of the year for us over here. But. Busy most of the time. Oh yeah, and uh, I remember going to to Doctor Who conventions when there was you know five hundred people at that at that convention, and now there's three thousand people. Amazing. Well, that's it. Uh, well, I think the first the first conventions. I was a fan from. Well, I mean, I've always been a fan of the show because I I can remember the first year of the show. So it's um, uh, <laughs> that's my perspective. I'm the same age as Peter Capaldi. Oh really. Uh, Oh, we're exact contemporaries, I think. And I went to a couple of conventions in, I think, 90, oh gosh, no, 80, um, the early 1980s. Uh Um, And that would be around the time that Peter Davison was the doctor. Okay. And and I remember uh, there there was maybe four or 500 people at those events, the Panopticons. Sure. And um, again, that's that's kind of history, you know. Thing, things have changed. All men. That was the other interesting thing. No ladies there. I think there were about. I saw about half a dozen ladies. Oh, really? At both conventions, I think. And two of those were Janet Fielding and uh, Sarah Sutton. <laughs> Another one was Verity Lambert. <laughs> Another one was Heather Hartnell. Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> I think there were maybe two two wives who'd been dragged along. <laughs> Uh, pretty amazing how times have changed, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's so different now, so different. Anyway, so, it's, it's a, I like the contrast. You know, it's a totally different world. Uh-huh. So you've been watching Doctor Who pretty well since the beginning. Then have you have you always followed it along through the years? Yes. Um, well, I I took a bit of a break. I, um, uh, I think I'm. I think I probably missed the very first story in Doctor Who, but I was certainly well into the Daleks uh, through there that first time. Uh-huh. And I remember, um, I mean, I can remember the absolute horror of the mutant underneath the the the, um, the Thal cloak. Oh yeah, like it was yesterday because that really those kind of things. I think those kind of um, mysterious. Uh, and slightly opaque um, scenes really trouble small minds, you know. Yeah. And um, and that stuck with me for ages. And I can remember, I mean, then cutting to, I suppose, a couple of years later when the Daleks, you know, were in invading Earth and all that stuff. It's all, it's all, it's all in my memory. And I can remember things which don't exist anymore. So I'm terribly lucky in that respect. I can remember poor old Sarah Kingdom being destroyed by the Time Destructor. Um, and I can remember seeing it happen, and it was astonishingly horrible. <laughs> oh, I bet. Because <laughs> um, I suppose because they didn't even use makeup uh, towards the end. I think they, I don't know if they aged her, the, the actress at some point, but they replaced her with a, an older lady. Uh-huh. Uh, and and it was, I can actually remember cringing inside at the, the absolute horror of being aged to death. Of course, I'm now experiencing it myself, uh, but on a much slower <laughs> Yes, aren't we all? About how old were you then when when you saw that? 
It must you must have been fairly young then, and about seven, I should think. You say kind of kind of traumatizing for for a little a little kid. Yeah, it's it's it ruined my life and uh, <laughs> trapped me eternally in a world of Doctor Who, which I can't escape from. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess there's worse fates. <laughs> yeah, there are. There are. No, I love Doctor Who, and it, it's uh, and I carried on loving it. Um, I th- I think I dipped out of it for a while during uh, bizarrely during um, Tom Baker's time. Although I, because that, by then I was a student, and I was, uh, or at least at uh, uh, a further education college, uh-huh. and um, I kind of, I think its own student humour, which is probably Douglas Adams' era, maybe I guess, thinking okay. about, uh, kind of put me off slightly. It wasn't quite as serious as I liked it to be, and so I kind of I dipped out of it for a while. Okay, I can but see I that. Back, I was back by the end of his his period, and and actually back with a vengeance. And that's when I started going to uh, when Peter Davison took over. My my one of my favourite periods is Logopolis and uh, uh, Castrovalva, and that that whole sequence there. Uh-huh. I thought that was an amazing direction for the program to go in, really using hard science to to power the storylines. Uh, and I really, I suddenly really re-engaged with it, mm-hmm. um, and I, I haven't really, <laughs> haven't really been able to shake it since. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. By the end of Sylvester's time, that's when I was actually starting to work on on comic strips uh, to do with it and Planet of the Dead, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was I was going to ask, how did you get involved? Have you always been an artist ever since you were a little little kid? Oh yeah, that's um. I think most artists you speak to probably have always had always had the same story. You just, I, I think I started drawing on pieces of paper, and books and anything, probably walls, mm-hmm. uh, anything that came to hand from when I was two or three, and just didn't stop. I think a lot of kids have a lot of talent in art, uh, but they they actually don't pursue it, and therefore it kind of dwindles. It 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 starts to. Um, as their interest in it diminishes, yeah. So they so that they don't do it anymore, and so they don't practice, and so they don't get better. I tend to think that a lot of artists, I mean, you might have a, an aptitude for it. I, I know I have an aptitude for drawing, but but I think that without refining it and and just working and working and working at it, it would just stay, you know, what it was when you're a kid. Because uh-huh. these children can draw about the same. They've got about the same talent when they're about five or six. It's only after then, when a lot of them start to drop away from it, that there is a marked difference, you know. Yeah. So that's a theory. I, I have no proof of that. <laughs> no, it actually, it, it makes sense to me. I, I'm an artist myself. I, I don't. I kind of do it on the side, and I have a little boy who's going to be turning eight who uh, loves to draw and. And uh, I'm trying to encourage him to to continue on and to to uh, learn things. I'm trying to teach him the stuff I learned when I was about that age, and and you know try to to hone his drawing a little bit better and encourage him to continue on in it. Yeah, well, um, um, encourage him on my part in that case. He's a <laughs> it's a it's a great one of the things that's kind of strange for me. I think is that when you become a professional artist actually you lose your hobby and that's a that's a bit of a shame mm-hmm. I, so um uh, but it's if you can if you can still carry on and enjoy it then i think that's that's the best of both worlds if so people give you money for your drawings then it becomes uh, 
<laughs> that was always my goal, and happily it kind of worked out that way. Uh-huh. So have you always been a comic book fan? Uh, well, actually, I'm not really a comic book fan these days. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, I was a huge comic book fan through my, um, uh, I suppose, right from reading TV comic, which is where Doctor Who first had his comic strip incarnation uh-huh. uh, over here. Um, uh, so that would be about 64, 65, I guess. Sure. Um, and at the same time, I started reading, pretty much at the same time, I started reading something called The Eagle, which was uh, uh, Dan Dare, uh-huh. um, Britain's pilot of the future, um, <laughs> set very firmly in the sort of future 1950s. Uh, um, I was reading that um, on a weekly basis. I was all, And then very quickly, because all these things tumble through at the same time, just before Thunderbirds came along, uh, the Jerry Anderson series, I started reading TV 21. And again, that had a Doctor Who uh, related strip in it, which was the Daleks, uh-huh. uh, the, what became known as the Dalek Chronicles. Um, and that was, uh, so all that kind of comic stuff was really, uh, I, I seem to, I must have been getting three or four comics a week. I, my parents were incredibly generous. I, I, they're not terribly well off, but. Being an only child, I think I probably moaned and groaned so much about everything that I wanted. They gave in, um, <laughs> but they gave in with good things. They wouldn't. <laughs> they never let me read a comic called The Beano, which was uh, <laughs> I desperately wanted to read. Oh, really? They thought that was a little lowbrow. <laughs> um, uh, so I wasn't allowed to read that. The Eagle was fine, and and TV Twenty One was a s- superb quality production. Um, but it, it, it was also the comic books for me were a way of continuing what I was watching on TV because almost everything I was reading TV comic, uh, um, not not the Eagle, but the uh, um, uh, the other comics I was reading at the time, that they were all to do with basically licensed products. Uh-huh. So you, I was watching TV and I was getting extra stuff on the tv through the comics sure. so that, you know you had um you had comic strips of doctor who and the, particularly the daleks i really loved that that was an amazing series of of um uh artworks in a way of, uh, and the first time you got a kind of backup story a background story to characters that were already on the tv um merchandising was almost nil back then so you had you, I, you didn't even have color photographs uh, anywhere of Doctor Who and uh-huh. things like that. I remember exactly the first time I saw a, a, a colour photograph of Doctor Who was uh, was in a, on a sticker that was given away free with TV comic, and it was the, the the one of Hartnell standing outside the TARDIS with a an oil lamp or candle in his hand. Oh wow! And 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 to see it in colour was, I mean, <laughs> the TARDIS was blue. <laughs> yeah, but that was revolutionary. <laughs> and he was pink, which was which was it was astonishing. <laughs> Mind blowing, you know. Um, sorry, I tend to digress a great deal. Oh, in these no, no problem. That's what the, what an interview like this is all about. <laughs> well, well, they could go on forever in that case. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, so I was a, a fan of those. I then got into Marvel comics and so on uh, a little later on. Uh, I they were uh, we got kind of I don't know if they were actually the comics that were on sale in America. I suspect not. Um, but I started to, there were reprints of, of, um, Iron Man and Fantastic Four and, uh, the X-Men and 
Thor and all those kind of things. And also Batman. I was a big Batman fan when the TV series was on. Uh-huh. Uh, and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I, I, it's strange, isn't it? Because I got the, uh, the Batman TV series has now got its own comic. Uh, <laughs> which is which is I mean it's wonderful I love the way these things go around in circles yeah isn't it amazing at the time the, the comics that you could buy here of Batman were either the probably just out of date um, uh, American colour ones which were lovely but but we, you've got digest versions small paperbacks of uh, of the old Bob Kane stuff oh really is and so my, that version of Batman seemed extremely weird to me <laughs> whereas the, the 60s TV show seemed completely straight and normal to me. And it was just regarded. I can remember kids just regarded it as action adventure. It wasn't funny at all. Oh, really? <laughs> now I've just got myself the Blu-ray of the, uh, of the Batman TV series. And it's the most wonderful show for adults. <laughs> yeah, I still need to pick that up. Yeah, that's just, that's just great. Yeah, I... It was it was straightforward adventure. Oh, most definitely. West wasn't quite as muscly as he was as he should have been in the, from the comic. <laughs> oh, it was still fun. still good fun and good entertainment. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, so was it was it your your reading the like TV twenty one and and comics like that that got you interested in in drawing comic book art? Well, I I think really uh, yes is the answer to that. But I think that in a way. I didn't consider that there was any other kind of art oh, yeah. um, because that was what was coming into my home. And I suppose there were, in terms of illustrations, there were, there were really only things in paperback books that I was seeing that were also illustrations. So uh-huh. comic books were like the, that was just what drawings were. And I think I always knew they were drawings and I knew that someone had drawn them. And my mum uh, had met someone in the dim and distant past who um, was a commercial artist, and so that phrase stuck in my head. And she and and she said, "Well, he made his living as an artist, and perhaps you could too." And that that was it. Then, as soon as I from about I probably about seven or eight again, uh-huh. I thought that's what I shall do. Uh, I don't need to learn to be a physicist <laughs> or. <laughs> very happily for the world of physics uh-huh. um uh, and um and i don't need to do any of those other things because i can draw um so i was terribly lazy and i still am really but um and i i, I then basically gave up any idea of doing anything else and i just always assumed that i would become a commercial artist um and uh and anytime soon i'm hoping it will happen <laughs> uh so so how did you uh, break into the the world of doing comic art well, I, there's a bit of background, I suppose, first. Um, because I'd been a fan of all that stuff, I had actually, um, after college, and I, 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 well, I went to a college, basically, uh, what we called then a further education college after a high school. Uh, and I did a course, an illustration course, a foundation course, and then an illustration course, um, which was basically revolved around technical drawing and also wildlife illustration. Uh, uh, and so that was a kind of quite a good round um, education in different disciplines. The, the two disciplines really is structure and, uh, you know, mechanics of how sure. things work, uh-huh. how they're drawn, 
perspective and all those things and also um the sort of finesse of making them look nice <laughs> so um uh that's the course i did then i did five years um i got a job i just wandered straight into a job out of college uh in british aerospace which was a uh an, well, it still is a, an armaments uh, uh, uh corporation uh they produce variously they produce things like the harrier jump jet and so on and so forth okay. um and i went to work in the missiles division <laughs> oh yeah which i thought was going to be terribly exciting uh how wrong one can be <laughs> but, uh, I, I was always trying to draw missiles of uh, blasting off like thunderbirds you know they all look like all the drawings i did were like things from tv 21 and uh, <laughs> i was always being told to calm them down oh yeah we don't we don't want a big launch signature, you know, uh-huh. it's not things like that. So, um, but that was great. Again, that was quite a good grounding, uh, in the world of work, but I got, I got, just got, it was very limiting in terms of, you know, the kind of work I was doing. Went freelance doing work for local design companies, uh, uh, illustration work really. Uh-huh. And then I started, but I'd done that for three years and I started to think, well, this is all very well, but I can't really get a style which everybody agrees is my style. Because if you want to use, want to get on, you have to have an agent. If you want an agent, you have to have one style, uh-huh. preferably 400, 400 pictures of, say, fish that you can say, this is a fish artist. This is the style he works in. I don't work like that at all. I never have. I, I jump around all over the place with what I do. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, at the back of my mind, there'd always been this comics thing as well. And I had met David Lloyd, actually, at one of the Panopticons. Um, I'd done some samples while I was still at British Aerospace, because Doctor Who magazine came out, and I suddenly thought, oh, oh, that's my job. Uh-huh. That's the job I want. Um, <laughs> not my, <laughs> I wasn't asking for much. I'll just have Dave <laughs> Gibbons' job, shall I? Yes. Uh, anyway, I met... I did some samples which were uh, rather crude um, and uh, they took a long time because I had to script the thing myself as well and uh, basically reworking bits of the first Dalek novel, uh, the first Doctor Who novel okay. uh, by David Whittaker. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I did scenes from that and then I, I bumped into David Lloyd and I, I at the convention and he was lovely, he was a lovely guy. Um, and uh, he'd drawn backup strips in Doctor Who uh, magazine, and he'd um, done—I think he'd done Star Tigers, although I'd missed those. But he'd also done a backup strip, I think, with Sontarans and Cybermen and stuff like that. So uh-huh. I knew his work very well, and I said to him, "So, David, how much do they? You know, I'm a—I'm a freelance illustrator. I'd like to know how much can you expect to earn?" And he told me what the page rate was, uh-huh. which I can't really remember now, but it, it was something like. <laughs> something like 25 pounds a page uh-huh. and I, I just I kind of froze <laughs> and I, I can't possibly earn a living doing that and i don't see how anyone else can either uh-huh. i've subsequently been proven completely right there it's um it's a mad a mad thing you do so much more drawing in comics than any other discipline and you get paid much less yeah That's just how it is yep. unless you're the top guys you know um so i'd met uh, so i kind of dismissed the idea I'd, I'd buried my samples but i bumped into john higgins who uh you will know from as the colorist of watchmen and a great 2000 ad artist oh yes and also has worked on uh, doctor who magazine as well and he knew all the guys he was doing some work on transformers i think 
some cover work for Transformers at the time mm-hmm. in the UK. And he said, why don't you come along and I'll, I'll introduce you to these guys. Uh, that, it sort of, so it pays to hang around in art shops because that's how I met him. <laughs> and uh, he, he originally wanted me to, he got me to do some coloring on a strip he was doing. Uh, which actually Steve Yowell was drawing. So it was all, it was all, you know, suddenly I was immersed in the world of people who knew what they were doing. Uh-huh. With this. Uh, I went in to see the lovely guys at Marvel UK, um, and Ian Rimmer uh, was the first guy I met, along with Simon Furman, who were in charge of... Ian was editing Transformers at the time. Mm-hmm. Simon went on to edit and, and was writing, <laughs> and still writes Transformers. Um, uh, and he... Ian gave me a crack at doing some color covers for the Transformers magazine, which I did. Um, and then I started to think, well, this is good, but um, I'd quite like to have a go at one of the strips. And eventually I convinced Simon Furman that I should. Uh-huh. Uh, I convinced him in the time-honored fashion of artists over, uh, through the world of saying, I'll do it for free. Um, <laughs> I'll do it for free if you reject it. And if you, if you like it. Give, you know, give me a script, and if you like it, I will. Uh, then you can pay me, uh-huh. and that's the way it worked. And uh, I did my first strip for for Transformers, and then I did another st- carrying on doing the covers, and and then I did a strip for that was for an annual. Then I did a strip for the weekly comic, and in that very first one, um, so I just basically I fell into comics. It was it. It sounds very rushed, that, but that's just how rushed it was. It's it. I kind of hung around for about a year doing covers, and I thought, oh, I can do comics, and I get, got them to give me a script actually in the first place, uh, and I just couldn't do anything with it. I realised I didn't understand storytelling, mm-hmm. even though I'd been immersed in comics all that time. I couldn't really quite do that thing of going from one scene to the next and juxtaposing images and so on. Yeah. Um, so anyway, when I finally got Simon to give me a go. Uh, 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 it kind of worked, and the, and that second strip I did featured Richard Branson, who your keen listeners will know is the head of Virgin oh, and yes. uh, a worldwide phenomenon in his, in his own right. Uh, and we, it was supposed to be that in the script, the Transformers, these guys had been dumped in a river, and they were being hauled out uh, as part of the Keep Britain Tidy campaign which had been was something from the 60s, but which came back, uh, tried to come back in a very half-hearted fashion um, in the 1980s. And Branson was one of the key figures in it. Okay. Uh, attached to it. So he, as a joke, a Branson-like figure is standing on the quayside uh, watching this lot happen. And as a joke, I drew the rough as exactly Richard Branson. I did a likeness of him. Uh-huh. Um, and Simon, and I think probably at exactly the same time, Richard Starkings, who plays a big role in my career, um, were looking at that and they said, oh, that would be kind of neat. Maybe we can ask Richard if he'll use, we can use his likeness. <laughs> they, did, they approached Branson and, and, you know, he's a publicity shy young guy. Uh, of course. <laughs> so he immediately said yes. Uh, his office said yes, at least. So we, we used his likeness in the Transformers comic. That got picked up, uh, incidentally, by things like the New Musical Express and all kinds of Melody Maker magazine over here as being a, another kind of stick to beat Richard Branson with. Um, and uh, But it also got me 
suddenly I came to the attention really of Richard, who was Richard Starkings was in charge of the uh, he was editor of the Boys Comics. I think that's that that was precisely what he was doing okay. at Marvel UK. Uh-huh. So he had an overview of all the comics, including Doctor Who, um, and he said. We, we, we would go and meet every month or so. There was a, a pub called the Valiant Trooper, which uh, we would variously go, go to at you know, monthly intervals and stagger out of having pledged undying love to each other. <laughs> and occasionally you might get some work as well. Um, but I got, got to know Richard a bit, and he knew that I was a Doctor Who fan, and I knew he was a Doctor Who fan. There was no missing that. Um, we, were, we were drawn to each other like... Uh, drug addicts uh-huh. uh, and um he um he just immediately saw the potential for me to do a doctor who because i'd done the likeness and he wanted to have a varying um set of artists rotating on the uh, on the comic strip for doctor who magazine uh-huh. which he was in charge of and john ridgeway was either in the process of leaving it at that point or that was kind of in the air um, and so he gave me uh, a strip to draw, which was the Seven Doctors, the one that you read, mm-hmm. uh, Planet of the Dead. So I kind of got thrown right in at the deep end because that was the first strip I drew which had predominantly human beings in it or humanoids. <laughs> uh, and and also they all had to be likenesses. So you had, I think, five or six companions in the first one. Yep. Uh, and then the, uh, the the likenesses of the Seven Doctors uh, in the in the second part, <laughs> so I didn't feel too much pressure. <laughs> I was suddenly, you see, and it was as quick as that. I'd done, I'd basically done, I think two strips maybe before I actually engaged on doing that strip, and so you're looking at very early work from me there. Uh-huh. But I knew in the back of my head, I knew. There's Dave Gibbons, there's David Lloyd, there's all the people that are drawn in TV comic and all the people that have um, worked on all the things that I've you know, looked at, you know, Ron Turner and uh, all those people were kind of buzzing around in my head thinking, well, you know, and Ridgeway obviously had done a fantastic job on, on the sixth Doctor and, and into the seventh. Uh-huh. And I just thought, well, at least I haven't got much to follow. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm just starting, but of course, arrogance of uh, of youth and um, and and ignorance, uh, really, uh, of of what I was really trying to do, uh, got me through it, really, and um, and it worked very well, and that was fantastic. So we we and I think actually that I was that was not the first story I was lined up to do. Richard wanted me to do a Doctor Who story, but the first one I was lined up to do was when I think that. Dougie Braithwaite ended up drawing. I think that was it was oh, yeah. about an island, um, and it was in the same kind of uh, in the same season of stories uh, in the comic. Uh-huh. Um, but Richard put, bumped me onto the Seven Doctors because of the likeness issue, yeah. so uh, that was very lucky. And then once I started working on Doctor Who, Richard, I am told subsequently, and I, I'm not sure I knew this at the time, but his his plan was that I should become the regular artist on Doctor Who magazine. Um, uh, I, I mean, I, I suppose that must be true. But the I, thing is, I, I believe so. I, I think because uh, I've had Richard on uh, the podcast, and I, I seem to remember him saying that he he wanted you to be the regular artist because he had been working with uh, kind of a, a rotating staff of artists, and he was trying to get back to a regular artist sort of thing. 
Yeah, I think the rotating artists thing was actually his idea in the first place. But I think that once they got, I think in a way what happened was when he saw someone he thought could could do something, you know, along the lines that he'd been thinking of, uh-huh. um, and that seems to have been me. Then then I would become the uh, the regular artist. But Richard left um, Marvel UK really before that could happen and and then it didn't happen and for, for various reasons which we'll drift into later I suppose but um, the next thing that we did was uh, because of course it only took about two minutes for us to realise that I would quite like to draw Daleks and uh, and it had always been my one of my, I don't have many ambitions but one of my ambitions was to draw Daleks and to draw them as they were on the screen oh, yeah. rather than I mean, all the things that have been there before, um, the Canning's work in, in TV21, uh, in uh, TV Comic, and uh, Dave's work in Doctor Who magazine, everybody who'd done Daleks up to that time had done kind of versions of the Daleks. And I am a, I am a very prosaic individual. I wanted to see the Daleks with those particular angles that they've got, you know, oh. and... Uh, and the details, right. And so Richard, I think, knew that I was game for it. So we, we launched into a Dalek story, which um, I think Richard actually did the plot for. He did the lettering for it, certainly. Uh-huh. Um, he was pseudonymed Z at the time as a letterer, being the last word in lettering, you see. <laughs> uh, and um, so he uh, he kind of pushed me into the Dalek story, and we 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 went on a romp with Absalom Dark. Uh-huh. Now Absalom Dark was a character that I had completely missed because there, there was a time I bought Doctor Who month, uh, weekly, then monthly, and but there was a moment when I dropped it for a while because it was it was it was it went through terrible times in its early days. I think that they had no money, and I kind of got fed up with seeing the same article you know every every four or five issues sure so i dropped and i missed the whole absalom dark story oh yeah uh, so there was a backup strip in um i think yeah it was a backup strip in yep. in food magazine uh-huh. and, um so richard said yeah and we're gonna bring back absalom dark and i went great <laughs> with a kind of cheesy grin on my face <laughs> <laughs> which is extremely ironic as things have turned out um but uh he um he convinced me this was a good idea and so i had to suddenly they sent me photocopies of all the stuff i'd missed and all of david lloyd's uh work on star tigers uh and um i think it was yeah david lloyd yeah he did yeah he did that yep. that's right i remember those uh and so i had to kind of look at those very quickly and work out what all the, the you know the characters look like and and I was doing this thing, and I n- really not realising that it was already an iconic comic book character as far as the Doctor Who magazine or monthly audience were concerned at the time. So, mm-hmm. again, ignorance is bliss. Uh, and it, it's become rather marvellously that strip, Nemesis of the Daleks. Um, <laughs> a panel from that, uh, which I drew of Absalom Dark, was used by the BBC, by the the, the jolly chaps in um, in the Doctor Who office, and it appears in the Time Heist episode of the current, uh, or the just finished Peter Capaldi season of Doctor Who. Oh yes, most definitely. Flashes up for a second, and so 
Yeah, uh, 25 years ago, I drew a panel, which has suddenly become part of the show's history. And uh, wow, you know, it's all coming. I know all of us uh, Doctor Who comic fans, the, the you know, a, a year ago, the, the people that listened to the Big Finish audios were, were all excited about how uh, Paul McGann mentioned the, the Eighth Doctor audio companions just to, you know, and made them canon. And yes, uh, right. having the same thing happen for us comic fans, seeing Absalom Dak on the screen was was, uh, was awesome. Yeah, well, it was it was a it, it was very I was flabbergasted because um, I had absolutely no idea. I hadn't even seen any of the spoilers. You know, there were there were episodes released, and I hadn't re- really been following the um, the message feeds saying that there was a rumor that Dark might feature, and I missed that completely. Uh, and so I I I also. My hobby these days uh, is I play saxophone in a in a Roxy Music tribute band, and so I was out gigging the night that that episode was on. I got back in the very early hours of the morning to a whole load of stuff happening on Facebook, <laughs> uh, saying Absalom Dark is in next week's episode. Uh-huh. I thought what? <laughs> and uh, and then well, this will sound like David Tennant, won't it? And then and then. <laughs> drawing isn't it and i was going what uh-huh. what what and i had to you know i was dog tired but i i <laughs> i then had to wade through the whole episode to get to the um to the next week box and saw it pop up and i just was astonished it's just wonderful to have i know it's in a sense it's a microsecond uh and in the scheme of things not exactly terribly important but on the other hand for me, it was just an amazing uh, book ending because it's virtually the start of my comics and Doctor Who career. And suddenly it just pops up actually in the show. And that's the first time I think that's ever happened. So um, I was terribly pleased. Uh-huh. Put it mildly. <laughs> I, can, I can retire happy now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I, I'm uh, looking at your, your website and... I, I think it's rather interesting that, it, like, as your career has gone on from from Doctor Who into other things, um, you were talking about how you, when you were reading comics as a kid, how you always enjoyed the the licensed products. And I think it's kind of interesting how the the vast majority of the the comic uh, illustrations that you've done over the years have all been, for the most part, licensed properties. Yes. Um... Yeah, it's, it's an interesting topic, really, because I, th- there was a, when I was, began, and I was working on Doctor Who, well, for a start, Transformers, uh, as uh, the New Musical Express, the, the, the legendary music paper over here, mm-hmm. described it with the Richard Branson incident, they described it as crap British comic Transformers. So, you know, that's how it was regarded at the time by people who are not Transformers fans. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so that was one crappy license I was working on. Then Doctor Who comes along, and that's a, a licensed product. And then even then, I went on to RoboCop and um, uh, well, I suppose Tech World as well probably counts. And then um, Thunderbirds and so on. Mm-hmm. And each time, I, I know that the guys who are really into comics and into into real comics, you know, um, they all looked very much down their noses at licensed stuff at the time. Um, but I think it's become it's become more accepted now that licensed products are part of the the comics universe. And in a way, 
even stuff i mean batman is just as much a, a licensed product these days as anything else and and i mean i'd love to work on that but i, I never will but it's it, it it's another licensed product i wouldn't get my teeth into yeah. and, and all those things have become their own franchises they are they aren't just comics anymore they're bigger than comics mm-hmm. and and it's kind of worked the other way around, really, for those things. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And even if you look at the the comic companies nowadays, comic companies like uh, IDW and Dynamite Entertainment, they you know they've kind of almost built their companies off of licensed properties. Yeah, yeah. Titan too, I guess, in this country. I mean, it's, yeah. you're catching up with that. Um, and it's, but I, I I have no problem with it because to me. Um, <sighs> I, I I think I've always aspired to the thing that's on the TV. Now that may be because of my, you know, being, being an only child and being glued to the television for for far too long. I suppose when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but I it, it I just wanted to work on things that were on the TV because those were the real things to me. Um, back in the day, I think things like. Um, you know, the Avengers and Iron Man, they, they were wonderful things. I really enjoyed them, but I never really held them in any greater regard than I did for the TV series that, that I was interested in. So it, it's never worried me too much. I think it probably hasn't helped my career in some respects in the early days because once you get known for doing one thing, people tend to pigeonhole you and uh, and you're stuck in that, in that box uh, uh, probably forever. But that doesn't worry me either, because I've had a, uh, although my career didn't take off in terms of doing mainstream uh, comics, it probably wasn't meant to. Uh, And because of the type of individual I am and the kind of stuff that I produce, uh, you know, I did have a crack at two or three things. But really, I think I was probably better in assimilating a, a licensed or a franchise kind of uh, product and synthesizing that into comic strip form. I think that was kind of where my strength lay, uh-huh. looking back on it. But you don't know that's the, that at the time. You blunder into things from what you go, <laughs> you go from one thing to the next. You've no idea that's actually what's happening. I mean, to return to Richard Starkings, um, I mean, he's had a hand in almost every phase of my career, including, you know, fairly recently. Um, he's, He's always he's a great champion of things he likes, uh-huh. uh, as anyone who follows his Facebook fa- um, uh, page will find out. Uh, but he pushed me into you know he pushed me into Doctor Who, uh, and that was great. I you know that, that changed my life. Uh-huh. Uh, and then he he because he he did leave as I say I didn't get the the regular Doctor Who gig in a sense because he left before that could happen, but he did. Um, when he went to America, he, what he did was he went to America and he passed my work, my Doctor Who work, in front of Greg Wright's face. Uh, and Greg was looking for someone to work on Robocop, and that was how I got it, basically. Okay. Uh, and then I probably. Richard, I think Richard would say he's responsible for everything I've ever done. Uh, <laughs> but it's probably true. <laughs> And then Thunderbirds later on, he was he was I was kind of knocking around doing very little in comics work, and he you know again he was talking to an editor who wanted someone who could work on Thunderbirds and uh-huh. suggested me because he knew I liked Thunderbirds and it happened. You know? uh, good old Richard. <laughs> Checks in the post. 
Well, life is life is a bunch of happy accidents. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, yes, it is. It, it, it is. It's totally out of your control. I think um, people quite often ask, "How do I get into comics?" And I just say, "I have no idea," and I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea how to stay in comics. Uh-huh. I, you know, there is no. Uh, you know, I actually don't really do very much in the words in, in comic strip. It's, I just, well, plainly, I don't. I don't do comic strips uh, regularly anymore. Um, I would like to do more than I do, but on the other hand, I did four years of straight um, twenty books a year, or oh, twenty or no, ten books a year for Mar- uh, for Marvel U- US, uh-huh. um, RoboCop, and Tech World, and I'm. I'm fundamentally, I think, too lazy uh, to do that on a regular basis. It nearly wiped me out at the time finishing on Tech World. Although I wanted to continue with American comics, um, really, I, I, I think I would have worked myself into an early grave because it, it's very, very demanding. And I'm, uh, I would much rather work on smaller uh, runs of things. And that's generally what I've done uh, ever since. Yeah, and uh, I know if you if myself looking over your body of work, there's uh, you you've done an awful lot of Doctor Who work, and it's kind of varied as to the the different things that you've done. You know, everything from doing the the Doctor Who magazine strip to doing uh, the Battles in Time magazine, the the comic or strip in there. But then you've done. Um, like I, I finally remember the 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 webcast animations that you did for for Shada and for uh, um, Real Time. Right. Yeah. And Death Comes to Time was the first of those. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still working with the guy who wrote that. Um, Dan Freeman was the um, uh, was the creator of that. He was because that that was a very very exciting time actually because. Um, uh, all round, it was great doing the webcast because uh, it freed you from the um, uh, the constraints in comics, where you have to draw the background in each panel, uh-huh. <laughs> or try and work out a way that whereby you don't draw the background in each panel. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, extreme foreground uh, shots of people's faces. You know, they're, they're always very happy. Oh yes. um, but. Uh, it meant that you could, I could simply concentrate on single illustrations, various aspects of each character, smiling, frowning, you know, inaction, inactive, whatever, uh-huh. and then draw backgrounds, which would be used knowing that they would be used for animation. So you would draw very long, very, very widescreen images so that people could, you know, the, the animation could pan across a scene or, and um, they were, so very happy time. I, I I enjoyed working with Dan, although Dan didn't want. Uh, Dan was the producer and and also the writer, and he um, he didn't want. We didn't really want the animations at all, but I think they were foisted on him by um, BBC Online oh, yeah. and, uh, as a way of turning the pilot into potentially something that that could get out there, because um, that that was it was an audio adventure first and foremost, and then Online wanted to do it as a as an animated thing and, and to produce what was, I believe the world's first webcast, um, mm-hmm. webcast and, um, James Goss, who is the lovely guy 
who uh, um, really commissioned me to do the animations, he actually animated them. He was the person who actually moved the things around, and 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 I just supplied uh, still illustrations. Um, but it was lovely working with you know suddenly working as part of a team actually in a way that comics isn't quite the same as that. So, and I remember going to um, James invited me into because James Goss, of course, has gone on to become a fantastic novelist in the world of Doctor Who and also a producer on um, To Entertain and various things that you see on the Doctor Who video, uh, DVDs. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, James is a very talented guy, a very funny guy as well. We had a lot of, t- a lot of fun. Um, and he was very, very good to work with. And Dan's been very good to work with. Dan created a character called Minister of Chance in that first webcast, which goes on to this day. And there's a, there's a minister movie in the works and there's two audio adventures of the minister of chance uh well one's already out there and another one's on the way so Mm -hmm. and i'm still connected with them so that that's been a lovely that was a lovely thing but one of the nicest things about it was going into to the bbc as it was then at the concrete donut which is bbc uh uh television center um (laughs) <laughs> they've unhappily they've just sold it off and it's being ripped to bits. Oh I yes, I, I remember that was that was huge news. Was, I they you know uh, Britain, there's nothing we can do in this country which can't be shot in the foot. <laughs> uh, you know you have the, an iconic building which is I mean and of course it turns up for anyone who who wants to know what we're talking about. It's the it's the building that features heavily in uh, an adventure in time and space. Uh, the celebration of um, William Hartnell's early, early years, uh-huh. um, and and it's a fantastic building. It, it, I mean, crazy building because you couldn't find anything when you were in there, but, but a wonderful place. And of course, they've sold it off because they they had to go to Manchester. <laughs> yep, just had to. Only a couple of hundred miles away. <laughs> it'll, it'll be fine, guys. Anyway, so um, uh, but he invited me in there, and so I went to the the centre and. There's a wonderful children's show called Blue Peter, which has had lots of Doctor Who connections as well. Oh, um, yes. Particularly Peter Purvis. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, uh, um, and uh, and there's a Blue Peter garden there. It was very famous in this country. And we had sandwiches uh, in the Blue Peter garden. Was, I, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, talking about Doctor Who. Working for what was then the current producer of Doctor Who, which was Dan Freeman. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and what you know, life couldn't get any better than that. And in many respects, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but the webcasts were great. I loved doing those, and it was a terrible shame the day I found out that they would they'd gone to use the fourth one, uh, Scream of the Shulker. They'd used um, uh, they they were going to use a proper animation company. Oh, I was gutted. Uh-huh. But never mind. You you do those things. But I, I really enjoyed the time on them, and it was great fun. Uh, I went to see them recording. Uh, the uh, Sharda episode. So and I, I think somewhere in the background, I'm one of the monsters going, arg. Oh, yeah. Well, that was terrific. Oh, I, yeah, I remember those finally. I remember sitting at my my uh, computer desk uh, watching those over and over again. Uh, so, <laughs> you were lucky you could watch them. I couldn't really watch them here. The, my bandwidth was so poor. Uh. <laughs> I, I could see them for about a minute and then that was it. It was buffer for the next 25 minutes. <laughs> this tiny little picture as well. I think they were just, they were just the size of a cigarette box. I think, you know, the, the picture that you yeah. got. 
Yeah. But people have been busy. Their various fans and uh, and and others have been um, pr- busy producing reproductions of those um, animations using higher res um, pictures than could be used at the time, and so so they are still kind of doing the rounds, which is uh, which is amusing. Mm-hmm. But that was great, being, and also seeing the the for the first time ever seeing the TARDIS appear, a my drawing of the TARDIS appear against my drawing of a background. Mm-hmm. To, with the TARDIS noise dubbed over it was fantastic I, I couldn't get any better than that oh I bet <laughs> um, how, how did you get involved uh, with the issue of Prisoners of Time that you did for IDW for the 50th anniversary story uh, I, almost certainly Richard Starkings probably had a hand in that <laughs> uh, I, I don't know that for certain but it's almost I know he suggested me to do the seventh Doctor as well uh, but I, obviously I didn't fit into their plans but um, uh, <laughs> I talked to Ridgeway about it <laughs> John Ridgeway because poor John John uh, had a great run on Doctor Who and is very fondly remembered and his work's fantastic on it mm-hmm. uh, and, and it didn't end terribly well I think there was a, for various reasons it, it, it's, it didn't it wasn't the most lovely end to his work on that time Um <laughs> but and and of course these things always rankle for years afterwards and i remember i i was in the mid somehow or another i was talking to him on facebook and he said you're not doing the sixth doctor i <laughs> i said no don't worry john i wouldn't dare because <laughs> 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 so, that was his baby you know uh-huh. <laughs> that's very funny no, uh, so I, I imagine uh, I imagine that if, if certainly if Richard Starkings didn't do it, someone else pointed um, me in that direction. Um, but they asked me. I I, I um, uh, yeah, they just they just they just emailed me and said, would I be interested in doing the second Doctor? And the reason they gave was they wanted someone who was um, someone who'd actually they wanted to try and get people who who were had drawn them previously so that you would bring a certain look or a uh, legitimacy to the, to the project in each, each, the choice of each artist. Sure. And, and I just read into that. Well, I'm probably one of the only surviving <laughs> Troughton artists because I'd drawn um, um, uh, something. Well, I'd drawn, um, Oh, I can't remember the name of the strip at the moment, but I've drawn a, 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 a second Doctor um, strip uh, for DWM, and uh, that I've, I, that counted me as a as a Troughton artist, because all the others are definitely um, definitely gone. Land of the Blind, that's what it was, um, and uh, and it was exactly the same lineup with in the, exactly the same clothes actually. Right. Uh, 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 I didn't stray far from that. So Zoe and Jamie and uh, and the second Doctor. Uh-huh. Um, but it was great to work on that because I, you know, um, I, in a, in many respects, Troughton is my favourite Doctor. Um, the first three are my real, they are my Doctors. Oh yeah. Troughton has become. Well, I don't know. It's, it's invidious comparisons are invidious, but Troughton has a particular magic about him. Um, and I appreciate it more and more. And of course, there are fewer episodes of his than anyone else's, or at least <laughs> until they turn up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you guys out there will know the uh, the trials and tribulations of whether there are any missing episodes going to turn up. Well, 
uh, Troughton is fantastic. Uh, I loved everything about his characterization. I was also desperately in love with Wendy Pabry as a child, uh, and still am. Mm-hmm. I met her recently, and I, I, I the restraining order is still in place. She looks exactly the same, doesn't she? Yes. I mean, it's 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 actually it's actually quite odd because I I I do lots of appearances these days at um, signings and so on, mm-hmm. uh, and I I hawk my wares around with me, and um, I'm a sort of pop up artist. <laughs> Richard actually called me a nostalgia artist. Uh, I'm a now nostalgia artist, so there you are. Uh-huh. You, what you're dealing with, but. During the course of that, I get to bump into uh, quite a few of the actors who are doing signings also. Uh-huh. And I've known Sophie Aldred for, well, since um, since she was in the programme. Um, I met her very early on at signings while the programme was still, uh, the, the original series was still running. Uh-huh. Um, and we got to be quite, you know, friend, pally at least. Uh, and uh, and she's very kindly, still remembers me. And I've just done some work for her, but I can't tell you anything about that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and she doesn't look any different. Uh, Nicola Bryant, I saw the other week, she doesn't look any different. Um, it's, it's astonishing. They all just look lovely. And Wendy Padbury is just, she's so delightful. It's it, I didn't really know what to say to her, actually, except here's a comic I drew with your likeness in it. And she was very kind and gracious about it uh-huh. Peter Purvis was great as well he's a real I like Peter Purvis a lot he was a, a, a figure from my childhood obviously because he was one of the first Doctor's companions and to actually be able to sit and talk to someone who worked with Bill Hartnell as the Doctor that's an astonishing thing you know um, I met uh, William Russell as well the other the other day and they're, you know these guys they go right back to the core of my being uh-huh. you know? um but Peter Purvis was very, very kind, and I, I like his re- his recollections of, uh, of working with Bill Hartnell. Um, and you must also have seen that interview with William Hartnell, probably the only thing on film uh, that was in one of the recent releases. Oh, the the one that was on the Tenth Planet DVD. Yeah, uh-huh. and I it, that was fascinating to watch that, and and I suddenly realised that. I've been watching Doctor Who for 55 years or 50 years, sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I've been, and I had never seen William Hartnell. I'd seen the doctor, uh, his doctor, yeah. but I see the man himself. And that's so strange because I had never, it never occurred to me that I'd never seen him. I'd even met his wife at one, as I said, at one of the earlier conventions, but uh-huh. she just like him, actually, she was a little lady with, with, with nice white hair it was lovely <laughs> and she, was very, she was lovely actually she was she was very uh, kind of amazed to be there I think uh-huh. um, uh, and um, I wish I'd spent more time talking to her but um, yeah I don't know where this is going I've lost my train of thought <laughs> entirely just a wealth of nostalgia and you know uh-huh. <laughs> all that stuff yes so I'm a big fan of the, the second doctor and so it was a real treat to draw that and I tried to get as many uh, mannerisms in as I could uh, I tried to pay particular attention to how he holds his hands and mm-hmm. the exact length of his sleeves which are always slightly too long yep. uh, and his uh, his general demeanor and I I I amazingly but, but uh, I don't know why really except through it's the through the minister of chance uh, audio adventures. I went to a, an, a, an awards ceremony for um, 
uh, for BBC audio dramas. And I met um, uh, Michael Troughton uh, uh-huh. there. And uh, no, David Troughton, sorry. I, I apologize. I met Michael Troughton a separate time. But and I said to him, it was great drawing your dad. And he and I, and I said, because you had to get his hands right. And he said, oh, yes. He said, my dad had hands like spades, just like these. And he held up his own hands. And indeed, very thick fingers, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, I thought that was great. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have drawn them thicker if I'd if I'd noticed that. But um, and it's uh, it was just a privilege to do that stuff. Really mm-hmm. nice to you know nice to work on something that uh, was celebrating fifty years. And um, uh, and it was a it was a nice kind of a nice interactive time as well. I kind of I I I kept sending notes in about the dialogue, saying oh. The doctor would never say out back, you know, out back of the shop. You know, that's, uh-huh. that's not an English expression and certainly not one from the 1960s. Uh, and um, so I did little thing. And I think I introduced the joke about uh, Jamie saying, look at the size of that doctor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I had suggested Troughton saying, yes, Jamie, that, that is a big one. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, But they probably wisely didn't use the second part of that. <laughs> There's only so much innuendo you can really get away with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, out of all the, the Doctor Who stuff you've done over the years, do you have a particular uh, story or, or issue that you're the proudest of? Oh. Um, I know that's a, an awful tough one considering the, 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 just the volume of work that you've done. Well, I, I think, well... Um, Someone described it to me once as being, you, you've done the most different types of illustration to do with Doctor Who of any other artist, and in different media, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so on. The one, you know, there are things I haven't done which I'd like to to have done. I mean, I'd like, like you know, Mike Collins and Andrew Wildman have both been. Uh, and Brian Hitch have both been all been involved with the actual show. Um, I now content myself. That's been slightly redressed by uh, the fact that my stuff has actually been in the show. Uh-huh. So, you know, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> um, uh, that. If I have to settle for that, that's a good one. Uh-huh. Um, but as regards to favourites, I think the, the thing is, to me, they are all about different times. Um, and it's a bit like trying to compare one holiday with another that you've taken and think, well, I both I enjoy both of them. And I'm not sure how I could dis- differentiate. There's there, there are some which have kind of the, the one with the most potential was which was interesting was the the story that never happened. There was a, a magazine called um, initially called Robot and then sci-file no it's called sci-files originally and then robot and that was put together by the guys that had done the radio times um one of the guy one of the editors i worked for there i did a radio times which is a weekly uh, tv listings guide uh-huh. uh, in in england where doctor who has had quite a relationship with that um i did a comic strip in that for nearly a year with gary russell uh and it was a, a if if that's not a Doctor Who luminary, I don't know who is. Uh, oh, most definitely. And, um, he's currently in uh, currently in Australia, uh, <laughs> creating television. So marvelous for yeah. him. Um, and I'd done that for a while. And Matt Bookman, who was the last editor I worked for on that uh, strip, um, was trying to put together a magazine which would return Doctor Who, but actually a new Doctor. 
so he was going to be, I think, called the Nth Doctor, or at least the last regeneration of the Doctor. Uh, and so I had carte blanche, so I, I tried to make him look like Alan Rickman, but I think I've made him look more like Ringo Starr in retrospect. Oh, yeah. um, but that was kind of, that was amazing. So I'm thinking, Doctor Who has gone, it's not coming back, because it was this post the, uh, the TV movie, uh-huh. and really did look like it was never going to return at that stage. And it was, for a while, it looked like I might be involved in something where the Doctor was going to be, this was going to be where the you know the Doctor was happening, you uh-huh. know, this sort of new stuff. Um, but sadly, uh, it was put out to focus groups. Are you familiar with that? Oh, yes. phrase? Yeah, okay. Um, and um, uh, panels of children at that stage, uh, I think that's about 98, something like that, 1998. They had no memory of Doctor Who at all, and they had no interest in comic strips, and they certainly didn't want a comic strip which had Doctor Who in it. Uh, and they didn't like anything else about the magazine, I think. And so it was canned before it was ever... Before uh, it even got off the ground. Yeah, before it even got off the ground. It was a terrible shame, because um, I would have loved to have done that. That was that was. But again, you can see all that stuff on my website. It's um, um, what might have been. Mm-hmm. I had running Cybermen, so, you know, I always like to push the boundaries a bit. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I highly recommend your website to anybody who hasn't checked it out. If you go to leesullivanart.co.uk, uh, you have a plethora of artwork on there encompassing your whole career. Yes, it's it's rather obsessive, isn't it, really? Yeah. Like, it, but because it's very hard, because I've done so many different things, you can't just put one, you know, like for my advertising stuff, I can put one page up. That's easy. Yeah. You know, for Thunderbirds, I can put up one or two pages, but... Doctor Who, it just, you know, it's been 25 years of mucking about in the time vortex. It's too much for one page. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, for one, I've, I've been uh, following your, your Doctor Who art, you know, ever since I first picked up a Doctor Who magazine back in 1988. And to me, you're kind of one of the, the, or the penultimate Doctor Who artists, just because... I when I think of Doctor Who comics, you're on the top of the list of, of people I associate with that. Well, that's very kind. Thank you very much. Oh, um, nice. It, it, it's it, it's amazing actually that that to be considered that. That's really nice. Thank you. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, I've, I've been ch- chatting with you for quite some time now. I, I don't want to take up uh, your your entire day. But... Oh, this is an old day. You don't need to worry about me. <laughs> But uh, how how did your uh, usual suspects lineup come into being? Oh well, that was um, uh, yeah, that's a very interesting one. That um, do you know, it's one again. It's one of those things you don't realise what you're doing when you're doing it. Um, uh, I didn't know what I was doing when I did my little picture of Absalom Dark. Uh, I didn't I didn't really know what I was doing when I did my first Doctor Who strip. You just you don't know the significance because it's it's obviously significant to you at the time. Uh-huh. It's what you're doing and you're very excited about it. But but things just have a life of their own sometimes. And um, the usual suspects began life as a, an illustration in Doctor Who magazine. I'm not entirely sure when it was, but um, at least 15 years ago, I should think it was. I think. There's this, it was the Seven Doctors basically, and they were posed in the uh, in the same poses as the film poster for the movie 
um, The Usual Suspects, uh-huh. which is in turn based on a line from Casablanca. Uh, it's, it's a terribly torturous thing, this. But <laughs> So there's a film called Casablanca in the 1940s, and that, that has a line, round up the usual suspects. And so a movie is made in the 1990s, I think, um, with uh, various great actors in it. And yeah. that has a film poster which has all of them lined up. Uh, in a, a mug shot in a, in a, against a height chart. Uh-huh. That was the idea. And so I, I can't, I, honestly, because I haven't read it for a while, I haven't read the, I can't remember what the magazine article is about. It's, again, it's on my website. But you can see it's about the doctors are the usual suspects. So they're being rounded up. And there they are. And so I put as many of them in the poses that the, I think the original five characters had and added a few extras. Um, and uh, and that was for the magazine. They dropped in the background, I think, with the height chart, I think. I don't think I drew that. Uh-huh. Um, and then that was it. And then a couple of years later, um, a guy, there's a collector of my work who um, who bought it from me. And then he sent it back to me saying, would you like to add, you know, um, Paul McGann? So I added Paul McGann. Uh, I, physically, I mean, he sent the artwork back to me. Um, I stripped it out, which is a, a horrifying process to to describe and to witness, uh, where you cut through two pieces of artwork at the same time uh-huh. to separate the foreground from the background and drop it into a new background. And uh, I did that <laughs> repeatedly because then he he decided he wanted um, Rowan Atkinson and the Scream of the Shulker doctors and. Uh, and Peter Cushing, they were, all, they were all tacked on to this original illustration, which started to grow into a much wider piece of artwork. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was that was great. That was all just happening, you know, privately. And then uh, a couple of, a few years ago, the, um, uh, the Cartoon Museum in London. Now, let me get this in the right order. Yeah, the Cartoon Museum wanted to use... Uh, they liked that image. They'd seen that on the internet somewhere, uh, and um, and I or maybe I suggested it to them when they were talking to me about showing some of my, of my work there. They had an exhibition of Doctor Who comic strips um, throughout throughout the ages, um, and they wanted that image, but they also wanted the Peter Cushing tacked on, but they didn't want the other stuff. So I thought, okay, well I've taken scans of this last piece of artwork, so and I'll look and see if that's usable but because of all the cutting and pasting by the time it was blown up to uh, they said they wanted to blow it up i hadn't quite realized how big they wanted to blow it up um, i thought well the cut lines will be there and i'll have to do so much work to it in photoshop um and then i had subsequent doctors because there was still matt smith had come along in the meantime uh, and he needed adding too uh-huh. so i redrew the thing over a weekend uh, but to my horror, realised that whereas I'd drawn the first seven Doctors originally at about probably around eight or nine inches tall, uh, <laughs> the only piece of artwork, artboard I had was was something like uh, 20 inch, no, 16 inches wide. Uh, and that meant that the height of each character was now reduced to something like 10 centimeters about four or five four inches uh, something yeah like that. that'd be really small 
<laughs> and so, of course, the faces were tiny. Uh-huh. And my eyesight in the intervening 15 years had become <laughs> commensurately worse. <laughs> so I was working like a maniac trying to get this drawing done over the weekend. It was the only time there was to do it. I couldn't go out and buy anything bigger. And I, I hadn't the brain to think I could stick two bits of paper together and draw them bigger. Um, actually, that's only just occurred to me. Isn't that tragic? <laughs> I could have done that. As it was all being done electronically, I could have... Uh-huh. There you are, I see. I've been doing this for so long and I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, anyway, so uh, I did that. So they wanted Peter Cushing and all the existent doctors, and I did that. Then a poster company wanted to produce one, but without Peter Cushing, so we went in down that route. Um, and then uh, I have subsequently added, for my own purposes, um, uh, the, the subsequent doctors, and it's just grown and grown. Uh-huh. Um, and in a way, it's become my signature piece now, which I can assure you, at the time I was drawing it, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I had no idea it would ever go on to become... It's all over the place. Uh, you know? Yeah, it's kind of taken on a life of its own, hasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it definitely has. It's, it, it regenerates now constantly, and uh, and I find myself willy-nilly attached to it. You know? Yep, and I know uh, quite a while back you were offering uh, prints available uh, on your Facebook page because I ordered one from you. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah, one uh, of the really nice, uh, the printed on the nice, uh, almost plastic-like paper. Yes, that was that was a very fine, uh, fine batch of paper. I, I sadly can't use that anymore because it became prohibitively expensive. Um, uh, now they're produced on luxury, heavy matte paper, but um, but they they look, they still look fairly good. But of course, that would be a subsequent. Ver- that, that's a previous version, isn't it? That would be yeah. the one with. Uh, with Cushing, yep, yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's a comic strip Cushing's doctor as well, so I've 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 pretty much covered them. <laughs> yeah, I think you've drawn pretty much all the doctors in one way, shape, or form. Yeah, the only one I, that doesn't really count is Chris Eccleston, but I did him an illustration for, of him uh, for the BBC website. Actually, that was uh, the week prior to the Doctor Dances. I did um, uh, an illustration for for the website uh, content. Mm-hmm. Still probably knocking around on the BBC's uh, website somewhere. Oh, probably. So that kind of counts. And I'm also possibly going to be doing uh, a Ninth Doctor cover for Titan. Oh. Uh, because, um, well, there will be a, a shop variant for the, you know, because the... Uh-huh. Apparently now, comics in the good old days, comics had one cover, and, that, and now they have to have twenty-five. Apparently, so uh, which is fine because that's the that's the work I'm doing at the moment, and I've just done I've just done three for Who Shop in uh, in London, uh, and um, prior to that, a a Peter Capaldi one. This one is a triptych, which I'm gradually putting up on Facebook at the moment. Um, uh-huh. Of all the, of the three doctors the, that they're handling at the moment, so it's uh, ten, eleven, and twelve. Each one has a cover which links as a triptych uh-huh. um, for that particular shop, and showing them in the shop as well. Yeah. But I think, but it may or may not happen. But I'm I'm sort of up for doing a ninth Doctor cover, so I will be legitimately have done them all then. Yeah. For comic strip, for comic form at least. 
you know, like like I said, to me, you're one of the the penultimate, uh, or the one of the the great Doctor Who artists uh, of my time reading Doctor Who. And uh, I, I am honored to have you on uh, Doctor Who panel to panel, and thank you very much for spending uh, time with me, going over your career, and uh, sounds like you're definitely keeping busy. Well, it's been a pleasure doing it, and uh, thank you very much for all that. And um, uh, it's uh, it's it's a treat. <laughs> I, this thing carries on being fun, you know, and uh, I shall carry on as long as I can trying to hang on to his coattails well I think as long as Doctor Who's around I don't think you have anything to worry about <laughs> we'll see but yeah I, I kind of get that feeling now <laughs> thanks very much everyone. oh no problem thank you lovely have a great day oh thanks and uh, and um, you're also not a lot not just Doctor Who but as far as Daleks go you are the, the ultimate da- Dalek artist well, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, I, um, that was never my intention, uh, and in my mind, it's not really true, but I know for a lot of people that I've done more Daleks probably than, or at least I've done Daleks which have been noticed, I, I suppose that's what's happened, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, I'm completely happy to do that, and, and coincidentally, in the next week, I shall be beginning um, five pages of Dalek artwork comic strip artwork I think in full colour um, to continue a story that was begun in Doctor Who magazine some time ago by Ron Turner okay. um, uh, and I'm going to be concluding that story for the magazine Vorp Vorp oh I love that magazine uh, which uh, which is a I mean to call it a fanzine is, is <laughs> well I mean things are just so much more professionally done these days and um, uh-huh. It's a, it's a luxury magazine, uh, and I think the next issue, in theory, will have five pages of my artwork, including that, the Dalek Chronicles, and that's lovely for me because again, that's where I came in. You know, I started reading the Daleks. Probably was the first strip to do with Doctor Who that I saw, uh-huh. um, particularly from the annuals, actually, which were very, very important over here uh, for kids. The, the the first two Dalek annuals in particular were just glorious and they still are glorious pieces of work. Uh, it's a shame. I guess most of uh, the Americans listening to this will not really be familiar with them, but they are marvelous. Yeah, they're, they're one of the things that I'm still hoping that, uh, somebody will get the rights. Well, they, they have the rights, but I'm hoping that somebody will reprint those at some point. Yeah. Well, here's a thing. Uh, you, you in that case will be uh, familiar with um, uh, with the first Dalek book um, cover and the second Dalek world cover. And my pal uh, Mick Hall uh, lives about two miles away from me. He's a he's been variously a collector of Doctor Who uh, memorabilia and artwork, and he actually owns the piece those pieces of artwork. Oh, really? Uh, and he has quite a few of the TV21 stuff as well. And I've had in my hands that first Dalek uh, illustration, which we think is by uh, Richard Jennings. And um, and it's um, it, they are just... It, it was like holding the Mona Lisa for me. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and nearly as valuable. Uh-huh. 
Wow. So it's lovely. Uh, it, it, it's been a joy to work in Doctor Who because you get to meet people who are like-minded, uh, and occasionally you get to meet other people who are as serious about <laughs> what they do as the stuff that you do. And 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 Mick's got an, an amazing collection of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, he has one of the original movie Daleks in his garage. Wow. For example, <laughs> a good man to know. Uh-huh. Well, I know uh, the, I've been doing this podcast for just about a year now, and, and for me, you know, reading Doctor Who uh, comics since 1988 when I, when I read Planet of the Dead, it's been a treat to, to talk to, to people like you, and I've had Gary Russell. I've known Gary for years. I've had him on the, the podcast and, and talking to Richard Starkings and everything and hearing the, the kind of the backstories to a lot of this has been a real treat for me. Well, good. I think it's an interesting area, isn't it? Because you, it's not directly the program, but it, it ties in a lot with the program. And it it has also informed whole generations of fans alongside the program. Uh-huh. And I think it's a, it's a very legitimate area to uh, to explore. And it's lovely to have been a part of it. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to take up any more of your day. I, I know I uh, my day's just starting, but you're, you're <laughs> halfway through your day. But uh, thank you very much for agreeing to to be interviewed for the show. It's been nice to talk to you, Jeremy. I hope you enjoyed listening to that extended interview with Lee Sullivan. Uh, I know it's uh, a lot to take in, but Lee Sullivan is somebody who I think has a very long and uh, varied career and someone who I just enjoy listening to. I hope you learned a lot about uh, the man behind the art, the man that I consider one of the best Dalek artists out there, and somebody who uh, I thank you, thank him very much for being on Doctor Who Panel to Panel. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and until next time, make sure you check out previous episodes of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Go to archive.org and do a search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel or Jeremy Bement, and you can find plenty of them there. So until next time where we will take a look at Missy number one. This is Jeremy Bement saying bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number two, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you. Thank you.